This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra podcast, where we highlight someone that's caught our attention from our daily radio broadcast from the magazine, Jason, or from the world at large. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. Jamie Metzl is here with us. He's a familiar voice on our show to many Bloomberg listeners and viewers. It's great to have you here. I mean, can, can I just talk about his please. background a little bit, Jamie? I'm going to just, right. I know, I don't want to embarrass you, but it's I okay. have. My mother's listening, so please <laughs> embarrass me. This is for Jamie's mom, but you served as director on the U.S. National Security Council at the State Department and on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee as a human rights officer also for the UN in Cambodia. You are executive VP at the Asian Society. We used to talk to you a lot there. Chief strategy officer for a biotech company, member of the Council on Foreign Relations, former White House fellow. You've got a PhD from Oxford, a JD from Harvard Law School, and uh, a Phi Beta Kappa also graduate of Brown University. Really impressive. And you've got a new book out. It's called Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity. We're going to get to your book in just a moment because I know you have spent some time with uh, up on Capitol Hill speaking to lawmakers. But let's talk about where we are geopolitically in the world. This has been a couple of weeks where investors have been very nervous about the U.S.-China relationship. You understand that relationship. Is it the worst it's ever been? It's not the worst it's ever been. We went to war with China in the Korean War. I mean, there's been some Mm -hmm. really dark times. But since China joined the WTO and even before then, the path has been toward greater U.S.-China connectivity. And we, what we are likely seeing now is a decoupling between the United States and China. Certainly on this program, I've been a critic of China because I think China has massively taken advantage of and gamed the international trading system. What specifically? So the theft of intellectual property rights. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. There's, there's not even a question. Including a company like Huawei in terms Absolutely. of- Absolutely. And Huawei itself has agreed uh, th- that they have stolen uh, IPR. Under, under the uh, advice or direction of the Chinese government? You know, you never know, but okay. what is a, a big Chinese uh, company? Like, you, it, it's a different model. Like, if you are a big Chinese company, you are connected to the Chinese government. You have a Chinese Communist Party cell inside of your company. And when big things happen, you cannot say no to the Chinese government. And so that's why the rest of the world has, has recognized that Chinese companies aren't like Japanese companies. They aren't like Korean companies. They are, they, we have to see them as quasi-state actors. So as I was saying, China has gamed the international system through subsidies, through IPR threat, through forced uh, technology uh, transfers. And because of that, and it's really unfortunate as someone who believes that the world would be better off if the United States and China could collaborate and play by the same set of rules, the United States has been forced. And I'm certainly not an advocate of every part of what President Trump is doing, but the United States Democrats and Republicans have been forced to recognize the United States needs to play much tougher with China or else we're going to be robbed. And it's not just about economics. It's about what values will guide the international trading and geopolitical system in the 21st century. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. China has brought this very tough response on itself. Well, and let's pick up that exact point, because this is framed often as an economic issue. We think about farmers, we think about consumers, but ultimately the lens of national security is really 
an important one here and, and maybe something that gets lost in the day to day of, well, how much is my Walmart shopping list right. going to go up? Absolutely. Because these the issues of economics and politics and geopolitics are intimately connected. It's not that, that the United States has the global role that we have, but Suriname could just as easily have had the same thing. But the United States has a level of power and has used its economic might to try to help build the world that we live in. And that doesn't mean the United States always need needs to be the guarantor of this, this world, the international trade system and the international geopolitical system. But it certainly means that if another country is trying to take that role, we better have a close look at who they are and what are their values. And do we want to live in a world defined by those values? And if we don't, we really need to get our own act together. So it's one thing for President Trump to be tough on China, but we also need to say, what do we need to do to revitalize our society at home? Well, and I do wonder, we've spent a lot of time in the magazine over the past few weeks talking about a number of different hotspots around the world in various ways, Latin America, South America being one. Africa being another example. These are places that while all of these negotiations are going on, China is really flexing their economic muscle, whether it's investing Mm -hmm. in infrastructure, whether it's investing into the consumer markets in those other places. How is that balance shaping out in your estimation between the U.S. and China who are really becoming the two superpowers trying to divide up the world, it feels like. Right. And so we don't want to go back into this Cold War model. And not all investment by China or Chinese companies or the Chinese government is necessarily bad. Africa needs a lot of infrastructure, and it's great that China has helped building it. But the question is, what is in what context? And I think that with the world, and not just the United States, but the world needs to say to China, look, you are welcome. We want you. We actually need you as trading partners, as investors in other, in other places. But we want you to articulate what is the kind of world that you're trying to build. Is this a, a world that can help everybody? Or is just, is this the take in Africa or Latin America? Is, is this just colonialism by another name? And if it, it's that, then we need to be very cautious. Is it colonialism yes. by another it is name? By, yeah, because China has recognized yeah. um, that you can achieve with state-owned enterprises or private enterprises subsidized by or controlled or influenced by the government, you can achieve a lot of the aims that colonial powers achieved through military means. And I I think that's why we need to be really careful. And the United States is is far from perfect. And so Mm -hmm. we need to hold ourselves to high standards as well. Is it too late, though, in terms of the imprint China has already developed One Belt, One Road? I think about, you know, making investments in the emerging economy so it has access to raw commodities. Is it too late? I don't believe so. I mean, it's natural. We want a, a, a government, a country like China, to be going out and trading with the world, to be getting the resources that it needs. And that right. benefits allies of ours like Australia and Canada and others who are providing those resources. But what we need to do is to say that we did, for China to play an active role in the world and for us to accommodate that that role, there has to be a same set of, of rules. And that's why it's so unfortunate the United States has stepped away from the TPP, mm-hmm. uh, from the TTIP, the Europe Trade Agreement, because had we had we ratified both of those agreements, we would be calling the shots. Now we're, we're playing catch up. I want to switch gears, but I do have one last question. Is the rest of the world on the U.S. side in terms of saying, China, you've got to play, it's got to right. be a level playing field? Well, the rest of the world recognizes that there there's a China opportunity and there's a China threat. Unfortunately, 
President Trump not only has picked a fight with China, he's also picked a fight with Europe and Canada and, and whatever. Kid and, so, yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, and so, like the best strategy would have been for us to recognize that China is the big challenge. And in order to stand up to China, we need to build an alliance around shared values and standards and norms. And unfortunately, that that we haven't done that makes us weaker. All right. So there's an easy pivot to your book here, and that is because one of the places where the U.S. and China are really overlapping is technology. We've alluded to it. We've talked a lot about it. We've talked to you before about development of AI, development of all sorts of advanced technologies. Your book, Hacking Darwin, it feels like sits right at this nexus. And it's something that you've been working on and thinking about for a long time. Help us understand that journey from your national security background, thinking about foreign relations into this really round-the-corner yeah. uh, kind of view of the world. Yeah, thanks so much for, for asking, Jason. So more than 20 years ago, I was on the National Security Council. I was working then for my then-boss and now very close friend, Richard Clark. And, and Dick was the person who essentially predicted 9-11. Um, and he always used to say that if everyone in Washington was focusing on one thing, you can be sure there was something much more important that was being missed. And I thought about that a lot. And I started looking around the world and getting a little piece of data here and a little piece of data there. Um, and this was long before anyone had heard of CRISPR. Yeah. Um, and I came to the conclusion that the, the genetics and biotech revolutions were going to change everything. And so I started educating myself. I started writing articles. I was invited to testify before Congress. I started getting more and more uh, involved saying, hey, we really have to focus uh, on this. And now uh, the world is starting to recognize that this is a really, really big deal. As a matter of fact, of, uh, there are kind of three issues, which are the biggest issues we're going to need to face as a species and certainly as a country, and that's genetics, AI, and climate change. I mean, these are these existential mm-hmm. opportunities, challenges. And so with the, with the genetics revolution, after 3.8 billion years of evolving, of life evolving by this set of rules of random mutation and natural selection, we are now for the first time ever taking increasingly active control of all of biology, including our own. And that's going to change everything with synthetic biology. We're going to be able to have a whole new ways of manufacturing. It's going to fundamentally transform healthcare, moving from generalized medicine to precision to predictive. Uh, it's going to change direct-to-consumer genetics. So these 23andMe swabs, now you get back and it's kind of fun to see your ancestry and a few other things. You're going to have a lot of predictive information about how your life is going to play out in, in some ways. And then we're going to change the way we make babies and the nature of the babies we make. So this is a trillion dollar industry. I mean, this is like, like if I was here and we had just sent the first email and I was saying, hey, this internet thing, it's going to be big. <laughs> this is bigger. So, okay. Sounds exciting. Sounds promising. Sounds like there's a lot of investment opportunities. Absolutely. Sounds like it can improve, especially when it comes to healthcare, when you yeah. talk about personalized healthcare, yeah. how much better that could be. But man, the downside, and I don't have to talk, you know, the designer baby concern. Yes. I mean, how do we keep it kind of on the straight and narrow? Right. So there are incredible upsides and there are real potential dangers. And some of them include that we would be, we are. Uh, messing with complex systems that we don't fully understand, issues right. of equity, who has access, issues of diversity. I mean, we see diversity as a way to have uh, inclusive workplaces and universities, but diversity is our sole survival strategy as a species. If we didn't have diversity, we wouldn't even still be single-cell organisms. We'd be gone. Um, and so the the reason why I've written this book, the reason why I'm a little hoarse today, and I'm traveling around the world, banging on banging shoes on tables like uh, Khrushchev, um, is that I think we have to 
have a global, national and global conversation about what's happening, what's at stake, and what are each of our, our responsibilities because the science is moving forward. But uh, what we need to do is make sure our val- best values are woven into every step of the decision-making We process. can't even agree with the Chinese in terms of <clears throat> IP, right? Like just right. look at what we've been lo- you right. know, dealing with the last couple of weeks. How are we ever going to agree about working together on yeah. the setting terms, setting rules, setting regulations. Yeah, so I'm on the World Health Organization International Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing. And that this is the big question that we are thinking about. But this is so big. It's so much bigger than what, what the WHO or the UN uh, can do. And so we have to start. I mean, the, you'd look at an issue like biological weapons. And we could have had a, a biological warfare over the many, many of the past decades that could have killed us all. We haven't had it. And the reason why we haven't had it is that we've built norms and standards and structures. So we have to be engaging on these issues. And we have to start on an individual and national and an international level. And it's not perfect, but the goal is, as I said, this, these technologies are moving forward. Yeah. And how do we make sure that there's a values framework that can at least guide in some ways how, this, how it develops? So before we let you go, got to ask you, and you mentioned this, from an individual level, what should we be doing? What have you done? Yes. Like, have you changed the way you live? Have you, yeah. have you changed the way you act and yes. think? Like, what, what's sure. the fundamental? So, so individual level, and then I'll say from the, the selfish to the altruistic. So selfishly, and I certainly do this, I think everybody should start freezing their own biological materials. Not in your own freezer. We have to do it through a process. But uh, we're going to need those materials going, uh, going forward. It's going to be part of our precision healthcare. Everybody should have their whole genome uh, sequenced. Right now, it costs about $800, um, but it's going to go down to $100 or so in the, in, the, uh, in the very near future. And everybody should start educating themselves about the genetics revolution and what it's going to mean, because this, this is so imminent. And that, that's why I've written this, my book, Hacking Darwin. The point is, if you, if you want to kind of really understand what's happening just in one book, this is it, but there are lots of other great resources. And then nationally, we need to pressure, I'm just coming back from, uh, from Washington yesterday, I, I spoke with members of Congress on Monday, um, we need to to get our national leaders engaged. This is so much more important than all this other stuff that we're spending our, our time on. Are the Chinese ahead of us on this? They're not ahead of us in the basic science. They're ahead of us in the applications yeah. of this of this science. We have a lot of restrictions, and a lot of them make sense. But China doesn't have that same culture. It doesn't have that same uh, those same restrictions, and that's why the world's first genetically engineered babies were born in China last yeah. year. That's why animal research in, mm-hmm. in um, among primates is happening in China that couldn't happen here. Could talk to you for hours, but we know we'll have you back in another yes, time. Jamie it. Metzl, of course, the book is Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity. Another book that definitely a summer read. Jamie, awesome. thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune in to Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.